I want to just start right off with our text. And uh, uh, let me tell you that um, that uh, there were things going on this week that, uh, and plus the text that I'm reading, it just is, it's really quite involved as far as doing the research to get it right. Because we're going to the book of Revelation and uh, Revelation chapter 13. And we're going to, basically the title of my message is The Mark. And so we're going to talk about the mark of the beast and how it, how it relates uh, to us and, and the timing of it and things like that. But uh, I want to read the text first. That's Revelation chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, uh, please follow along. And just, uh, just getting some context the um, from chapter six to chapter nineteen in Revelation, <clears throat> other than chapter twelve, chapter twelve is kind of goes back and gives you some context. It's the birth of Christ and how Satan wanted to to kind of ruin all of that. So that's in chapter twelve, but uh, but gives context to what's going on in chapter six to chapter nineteen. And so chapter six to chapter nineteen is uh, the great tribulation. It, that's the context of it. That's the kind of, and right after the great tribulation, that's when Jesus returns on to, to Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And then the thousand year reign starts where there is peace on the earth and Jesus is king. Now, so that's the context. Chapter 13 is kind of in the middle of that. And so let's start from verse one. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it, if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they, they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had ten horns like a lamb, uh, two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven 
on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has, has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I feel so inadequate to um, present and to explain this text. I pray that this would be beneficial, that this would be helpful, that these words wouldn't be my words, but your words. Father, work, I pray, by your Holy Spirit. Please do, because I can't. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ever since I was young, I wanted to ride a motorcycle. My, my dad got a Honda, I think it was 300 or 350, uh, because he did some work for somebody that, that couldn't pay him, but he had this Honda motorcycle, and so dad took it for the work he had done, right? And, and I was like 17, and my dad wouldn't let me ride it. He, he, he just wouldn't let me ride it, and so it was just like kind of rubbing the wound there, right? I wanted to ride a motorcycle. So... When, I, when we got onto the farm, after I got married, I, um, uh, one of Donna's relatives, or a brother of her relative, was uh, selling a dirt bike. It was a 100 Suzuki. And I rode that thing, and the first thing I did was break the tail off of it because, because I was popping wheelies and stuff and jumping. But, um, so when we moved up north, one of the neighbors had a 1983 Suzuki 650, tempter and uh, it was um it was old and it, it wasn't running but it was in running condition in other words the carburetor needed to be taken off and cleaned up and and it would go i still own that motorcycle it's what i got my license on it sits in my garage i need to take the carburetor apart again <laughs> because because the tank inside is so rusty it's you know it that's what happens anyway <clears throat> when i went to license it I went to um, the, the, the Alberta <laughs> license place there, and uh, they gave me a license plate, and the license plate number was TZ666. <laughs> and I'm going, and I looked at it, and I'm going, hmm. and, 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 I, and I, I didn't like the feeling, and I didn't like the number, and, I, and I'm thinking, Revelation chapter 13, I can't, now I, can be, I can't be riding around with this number on the back of my bike. And so, actually, I, I, I had taken it, and uh, about two hours later, I went back, and I says, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't have this license plate. I, it's like, it bothers me. And so they gave me the next one for $20. <laughs> so I paid $20 to get TZ667, and that license, <laughs> so, that, so that license plate number is still on the bike. And then I bought a book called 
Weird Christians I Have Met (laughs) by Philip Baker. In chapter 2, it's titled End Times Ed. He's one of the weird Christians. And I read this. Interest over the number 666 is something that is understood by most Christians. The Bible clearly states that the number will in some way reveal the identity of the Antichrist, Revelation 13, 18. Yet our friend's paranoia can reach epic proportion. Eds have been known to refuse license plates (laughs) and the purchase of clothes and real estate if the number is in any way part of the registration address or price tag. He fails to recognize that 666 is a very nice number. It's after 665 and before 667 and only has significance as a numeral value of the Antichrist's name during the tribulation. So there you go. I was kind of scolded for being so paranoid. Actually, my brother-in-law, when he heard that I traded it in, he said, what? He says, you could have been so cool. Anyway, <laughs> I missed it. Yeah, I missed my calling. I should have worn my vest, actually, with, with my patch on the back with a story like that. Anyway, I want to talk about three things concerning the mark. Uh, first thing I want to say is a, it really is a call to balance because there is imbalance for sure and there's danger of imba- imbalance. For two years, the pandemic has heightened interest in end times. There's no doubt about that, including the mark of the beast. On the other hand, I've also talked to Christians that dismiss all of the signs, everything that's going on as, yeah, it's, it's, the way it's, it's just the way it is, almost falling into the camp of scoffers, as Peter describes to his readers in Second Peter uh, chapter 3. Where is the promise of his coming? Where? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, and they don't really see the signs and God's timetable that things are going to happen. It's important to say at this point that we need to have balance when it comes to living out our faith in the present, but still looking ahead towards biblical prophecy being fulfilled. We need to have balance. For example, on one hand, Jesus says, and I like the way the King James Version puts it, occupy until I come. Occupy, do business, other translations say. You know, know, do business. And and how about the king's business? We need to be about God's business. Jesus gave us kingdom business to attend to, didn't he? He, We have work to do. We have light to shine. We have salt to shake out and love to give freely and generously. Who then is that faithful and skilled manager. That servant will be blessed if his master finds him doing his job when he comes. And that's Luke chapter 12. And so we have work to do. But there's an unbalanced fixation sometimes on end times to the exclusion of living out our faith. And, and now, heavenly minded, um, it, it, it's, it's this phrase that comes to my mind is they're so heavenly minded they're no earthly good right their heads are just looking looking for yeah i mean just 
so interested in end times and that they are missing living out in the present. And so, on the other hand, we are uh, looking forward to and expecting Jesus' return. Jesus said, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. That's Revelation 16 and 15. In Matthew 24, Jesus preaches a powerful message explaining Daniel's 70th week concerning the great tribulation. Jesus tells his disciples that he's telling them these things ahead of time so that they won't be caught off guard so that none of them would be deceived. He tells them when you see all of these things, you know that it is ne- he is near at the door. That's Matthew 24, 33. Jesus is coming back. That's a fact. And he wants us to recognize the signs. And when the and he compares the leafing out of, a, of an olive tree. And when you see that happening, you know that Jesus' coming is near, right? And so he wants us to be informed and transformed. Again, however, there's real danger if you're putting all of your energy, all of your interest in end-time prophecies rather than living out your faith and loving your neighbor. There's real danger in being lopsided that way. Uh, Two words that come to mind, conspiracy theories. And uh, they are rampant. You can't, if somebody starts sending you these things, they're going to keep on sending them, especially if you share them with other people too. Some of them uh, have, some of them have truth to them, and some of them are possible, and you have to have real wisdom your unbalance will cause others to see you as unbalanced. And they'll be afraid of you and afraid to talk to you. Right? That's, that's the truth. That's just the way it goes. Even if some of you say what is true, they will not listen because you have this uh, reputation. And that kind of approach doesn't really save anybody. I was listening to Dalton Thomas concerning Revelation chapter 13, and he referred to an important section of Isaiah in the context invasion was imminent. Israel, Jerusalem was going to be taken. It was, and um, they were just encouraged to let, you know, don't fight it, just go. Go with your captives, and that's what they were encouraged to do. And so... Jerusalem was in trouble. Isaiah 8.15 said that many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Among the people, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of talk as to what was going to happen in the future, when it would happen, and who was actually in control. Who was pulling the strings? Who is this enemy that's going to come and get us and take us captive? And God told his prophet not to listen or pay attention to all of the people and their speculations, spending time talking about it and wondering what was going to happen. In fact, Isaiah describes the way God brought this to his attention. This is the way God describes it, or Isaiah describes God telling him this, what I'm going to read here in uh, verses, uh, chapter 8 of Isaiah, verses 12 and 13. God said, that he said that God told him this with a strong hand. That, that 
that this was serious, that, that God was serious. Don't listen to these conspiracy theories. And it, as a matter of fact, the New King James uses conspiracy. Did you know that? Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people called a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Wow. So what were they saying? What was God telling Isaiah? Look, at, you don't fear what the people don't, you know, don't look so much into the future that you forget about living in the present. Right? You need to live in the present. You need to trust me in the present. It's the same message today. It, we need to pay attention to that message. Don't be so wrapped up with what's going to happen in the future that you forget about today and living in the present and living out your faith. We need to do that. And so the second thing I want to talk about is the signs of our times. And, and, and there's a number of signs. I'm not going to, this isn't going to be exhaustive, but I want to talk about a few things that really point to the end times that we are living in those days. We are living in that generation that will see those things come to pass. And so the first thing is the miracle of Israel. Israel, against all odds, Israel became a nation on May the 14th, 1948. The Jews had been dispersed throughout a hundred, over a hundred countries uh, around the world uh, for almost 2,000 years. The day after Israel was reborn, five hostile Arab nations attacked them. And Israel had old guns from World War II and the, the older guns and older equipment and, and you know, a, a, almost nothing for an Air Force. They had old planes. And yet, long story short, the new nation of Israel prevailed. God was on their side. And there was, there's miracle after miracle. There's story after story how God had intervened. Israel, um, it, it, it's really amazing. God was not surprised, however, that this would happen and this was happening, that Israel became a nation. I mean, the world around, especially the Arab world, they looked and they were just amazed. They were shocked that now Israel was a nation. But this did not take God by surprise. So, the mo this moment in history was foretold over 3,000 years earlier. Can a land be born in one day? Yes, it can. Israel, can a nation be brought forth all at once? Yes, it can. As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. That's Isaiah 66 and 8. On May the 13th, the state of Israel did not exist on May the 14th, the state of Israel did. That's a miracle. Jerusalem was under... Uh, Ju uh, Jerusalem became... Um, at that time, Jerusalem was not under um, uh, Israeli control. However, the event that made that happen is called the Six-Day War, J June of 1967. Neighbors Egypt, Syria, and Jordan had hostile intentions... Egypt moving its military towards Israel's southern border. Israel did a preemptive strike, and the war only lasted 16 days, and then Jerusalem was actually under Israeli control. 
As a matter of fact, since 70 AD, Jerusalem was not in Israel's control. And now it was. That was a miracle. That was a miracle. Hebrew, the Hebrew language was revived. Imagine more than 100 countries with different languages. The Hebrew language was dead. It, did, it was only spoken in prayers and in Bible reading. Now, almost 5 million speak Hebrew in the world. That's amazing, a, a language that was revived. And the land flowing with milk and honey is restored. And this also, Mark Twain visited the land in the 1800s and he described it in his book, Innocence Abroad. He called it a blistering, naked, treeless land. He called the villages ugly, cramped, squalid, uncomfortable and filthy. That's what Israel was like. That was, that's what the land was like. Today, the land is being restored to its former beauty as prophesied. The desert and the wasteland will be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. That's Isaiah 35, 1 and 2. I've watched a few programs where they've gone to the border and you look, you, you go to the border and you look at, say, the Gaza Strip or, or you go to look at Lebanon or Syria and Israel, you look on the Israeli side and it's just treed and blooming and beautiful and green and you look on the other side and it's like, it's the same dirt it's the same land, it's the same area, and yet it's just awful. There's no trees, and it's just gross, it's ugly. And that's what, God, that's what God's people have done. They've restored the land to, to the land of milk and honey. It's actually quite amazing. And why is this sign significant? Why is it important that the land, uh, be, that the nation of Israel now exists? Why is that important? Well, in order for many of the prophecies to come to pass, Israel had to be a nation. The prophecies that are in the Bible. In fact, before Israel became a nation, many Bible scholars interpreted those passages in the framework of what we will call um, replacement theology. And so what they were doing is they were <clears throat> replacing Israel with the church and saying, well, that must mean that this will happen to the church. no. No, God was not finished with Israel yet. Just because Israel wasn't a nation yet, and still because they were dispersed throughout the world, God wasn't finished with them. And they came back to Israel, and Israel became a nation, and now all of the prophecies that concern the children of Israel, are, 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 you can see it. it. That is bad theology, by the way, replacement theology. Um, that's bad theology. All those... and time prophecies are, are possible, including the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation in particular. Well, the second thing I want to talk about um, it, it, as far as signs are wars and rumors of wars. Many of you uh, took some time to remember those um, this last week who had sacrificed so much for our freedom, November 11th, between the First and Second World Wars, there were over 70 million casualties. That's a lot of casualties. You'd think that humanity would learn from that. 
I'm afraid we haven't. The Middle East is a hot spot. Iran and Iranian-backed militia are constantly planning and executing military attacks against Israel, usually missiles. Uh, There have been attempts at decreasing atomic weapons in the past. The Russian or the former Soviet Union and the United States, uh, they they were in talks. Russia and the United States were in talks about decreasing, you know, the atomic capabilities, atomic missiles and stuff. However, there are countries with nuclear capabilities that don't play by the same rules. We've got China, we've got North Korea, and, um, and China, for example, has been testing hypersonic missiles. Do you know that the hypersonic missiles, the ones they're testing, they will travel over one mile in a second. One second! They'll travel over a mile. And this newly developed technology, uh, it, it's Mach 5. It's, um, what is that? It's, uh, it, it's five times faster, or yeah, than the speed of sound that these, that these missiles travel at. And it is, you know, why is the United States concerned? Because it'll be all over before you even see them. They are so fast that it'll be all over before they see the missile coming. And it it is crazy. Um, With different religious ideologies at the heart of much violence in the world, um, you you, you see that this wars and rumors of wars is real. We see that, um, see that, Jesus said, see that you're not troubled for all of these things must come to pass. And then he says, but the end is not yet. And so it's just the beginning. Anyway, the third thing is the earth is in labor pains. Well, climate change is always in the news. And climate change is blamed for two extremes. And that's drought. The drought happens longer, wider, and more intense. And then bad flooding. The earth is experiencing an increasingly number of earthquakes. Did you know that there's 55, an average of 55 earthquakes a day now? around the world. 55 earthquakes. It's, uh, the earth is really in labor pains. And uh, Jesus, of course, I, I mean, we could talk about solar flares, pestilence, pandemics, all of which are covered regularly in the news. The world is falling apart. And then number four, well, one world government and castless society. One world government. The pandemic has prepared our world for a one world government like nothing else has in recent memory. Uh, the World Health Organization is, um, in response to the pandemic, has influenced our world. And I've qu- I'm quoting a speech from the World Health Organization in 2020 at the government summit, a world government summit. And, and this was a, an Arab and I'm not sure of his name, but, um, but this is his speech. I offer my thanks to His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. Okay, I was worried that I wouldn't get through that. For his leadership in bringing the world together to reimagine our future. Get those, reimagine our future. We know that the pandemic is so much more than a health crisis. 
It's an economic crisis, a social crisis, and in many Christ, uh, countries, a political crisis. Its effects will be felt for decades to come, just as the pandemic has affected every sector, so the response must involve every sector. A whole of government and whole of society approach is essential, not only for the defeating of the pandemic, but for the recovery. Well, we've heard a few times the term the Great Reset. There are governments bent on bringing the whole world together under one government, under one set of rules. And, and that is, there's, there's a lot of pressure in that. I was listening the other day um, to a German political scientist in, a, in an interview. And basically he was saying that the government wants to take care of you. He's saying that's all over the world. The government wants to take care of you. You know in China right now, uh, they, have, they have a system and they've got cameras all over, all over the city um, and, and in this one experimental area. They've got cameras everywhere. You can't go everywhere for, anywhere for privacy. The cameras will pick you up. And, and they've created a system of merit. And so if you volunteer in the community, if you do this, your your score goes up. And then when your score goes up, you're given more uh, responsibilities and more privileges. And so people are being taught to comply. People are, they're being conditioned in that area to, uh, you know, just, just to let it happen. Let the government you know, take care of me and, and I will be a good citizen. Do you want to be a citizen? So it's, um, so the Great Reset. Now this is what he said, this German political scientist. Uh, he explained the trend towards socialism for North America, politically in particular. Uh, and this is the, the phrase he used. You will own nothing and you will be happy. You will own nothing, and you will be happy. That's moving, isn't it? That's moving towards a one-world government. That's moving towards socialism. And that move is, you can see it everywhere in North America. In the States, the, new, the Biden administration, man, they are bent on, they are so social, it's unbelievable. And they're not hiding nothing. The pandemic has also been preparing us for this one world government. Many uh, small businesses have ceased to exist. They will be replaced by bigger businesses that government can support and control, and maybe even the government itself. Society is being trained to do whatever the government says by emergency health orders, social distancing, mask wearing, forced compliance. And it could be that a cashless society is preparing us for the mark of the beast as well. This cashless society, let me explain. In the UK, purchases made by cash dropped by 35% in 2020. So people aren't taking cash out of their wallets anymore. They're just taking their debit card or their credit card out of their wallets. 
or they're shopping online. One, in a recent report from the United States, 18% of small businesses refuse to accept cash. They won't. They won't accept cash anymore, again, because of the pandemic. They're afraid to touch money that's been touched by somebody else, right? They might, you know, get a virus or something. And, and so, I mean, I mean, how many of us enjoy the convenience of, of shopping online? Right? You can order from Amazon and it's here in a few days. I mean, how convenient is that, right? And, and, and so cards, though, is this preparing us for the mark of the beast? Well, cards have chips, right? Yes, you can nod your heads. Yes, yes, cards have, cards have chips, right? And cards can be lost or stolen. And so doesn't it make sense to put the chip on your body someplace? Inside your body, perhaps? And they're small enough to do so. Why not under your skin? I heard the testimony of a, of a man who helped invent, who helped develop a microchip that goes under your skin. He wasn't a Christian at the time. He became a Christian after he, was, after he was, uh, wasn't working for that particular company anymore. He became a Christian. Then he re- read Revelation chapter 13. And he was horrified. He says, what have I done? What have I helped to develop? And here's the thing. So he became a Christian uh, after. And the, the short version is that they needed a place on the body while they're developing this microchip. They needed a place on the body that the temperature fluctuated. Right? And there were two places they found on the body where the temperature would fluctuate enough to recharge the battery that was in this chip. See, because if the chip needed a power source, right? And so there's a tiny little battery, but what recharges it is the fluctuation in temperature in your body. Now, the two places on the body where the temperature fluctuates, you know, the back of the hand and the forehead. Those are the two places. How crazy is that? And so we have the technology. And, and, and let me uh, say one thing as well. Uh, my Bible says here, the New King James has it this way. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one can buy or sell except who has the mark of the name of the beast or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Okay. And so you can't do commerce. You can't buy or sell anything without that mark, without that chip, right? And so without a credit card, you can't buy stuff. You can't sell stuff without a credit card, right? And so if the chip is on you, that, may, that, that will make total sense to the world population. Well, what, you know, they, they can't steal it if it's inside me. Right, And here the, the King James translates this as a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And, and as a matter of fact, I looked up that Greek word and it can be translated either way, on or in. And so a, a microchip actually makes sense. It's actually possible that the Bible is talking about a microchip. We don't know for sure but it's absolutely possible and absolutely makes sense. So the fifth thing 
is uh, an instant communication capabilities. And uh, communication will increase, obviously, and over the last 40 years with internet and satellites and cell phones, I mean, everything, you can get information, something happens on the other side of the world, and we can know almost instantly what's going on. Uh, communication is that important. And why is that important? Because Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, or, or 11, Revelation chapter 11, there are two witnesses that are killed, and the whole world will see their bodies laying there at the same time. And they will rejoice, they will give presents to one another, the Bible says in Revelation. It'll be a real celebration. It'll be like a national holiday, a world holiday, because these two witnesses uh, were laying there and they were killed. Now that wasn't possible 40 years ago. It just wasn't possible. It is today. And um, the uh, communication has increased. Well, let's look at the mark uh, finally look at the mark specifically uh, but before I do I want to explain a little bit about Daniel's 70th week as found in Daniel chapter 9 and how that prophetic revelation plays into the mark of the beast uh, now Daniel there are 70 weeks that were given to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and and this is this is the quote. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. That's Daniel 9.24. Each week is a measure of seven years. The 70 is divided into three. The first seven weeks, that's 49 years, was uh, from the time, uh, during the time of Ezra and Zerubbabel. And you remember Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple? He uh, rebuilt it. Um, it was the second time the temple was built. And the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem, Haggai the prophet, that was during that time. So almost 50 years span there. The next section is 62 weeks or 483 years. Now, 400 of these years are silent. That means that there's no prophet spoke during that time. And, and, and no prophet actually was raised up until John the Baptist who was the forerunner to Jesus. Now, at the end of the 483 years, the Messiah is cut off. That's what Daniel chapter 9 says. The Messiah is cut off. Well, we know exactly when that happened. Jesus was crucified. Jesus gave his life for you and me. He shed his blood for your sin and my, for my sin, and then he was raised up from the dead. And that happened just as uh, the book of Daniel explained it would. Now, then it says in, in, during that time that the city and the temple will be destroyed. It will be destroyed by a, um, um, by a king. And, and so then there's a parenthesis, or then there's a kind of a time. There's 2,000 years between the 69 weeks that have taken place and the last week. There's one week left. And that last week is known as the Great Tribulation. And, and during that last week, I'll tell you what, um, and, and that's seven more years, that still is to come. We're waiting for that last week. Now, what happens, that there's the beast or the, the false prophet makes a covenant with Israel. This is how I think this 
happens. So the first three and a half years, they make a covenant for seven years that there will be peace. And what I think happens is that the false prophet says, okay, we're going to let you build your temple in Jerusalem. You can build your temple. And so in the, the first three and a half years, there's relative peace and the temple is built, right? Now, after three and a half years, then the covenant will be broken. And, and this, the temple is desecrated and the great tribulation starts and this is when the mark of the beast will be implemented it's at that time. And so people, here's the thing, conspiracy theories. Oh, don't take the vaccine because it's the mark of the beast. Well, you might not want to take the vaccine. That's totally up to you. We do have, still have free choice in this country. However, it's not the mark of the beast. And you shouldn't be afraid of it or not take it because you think it might be the mark of the beast. And let me explain why? And so before we go through this Revelation chapter 13, and this is why this, this is it's highly, like it's not the mark of the beast. Revelation chapter 13 is, I mean, we look at in the West, we look at scripture through Western eyes. But the fact is, Revelation and all of these prophecies have to do with the Middle East. They have to do with Israel and Jerusalem. And so Israel and Jerusalem are the center of all of these prophetic messages, including the mark of the beast. And so um, will we be affected? No doubt we will when the mark of the beast comes. It'll be the whole world will be affected. Um, but primarily the, the, the greatest tribulation, the greatest trouble, the greatest uh, uh, will, will be right at Jerusalem and, and Israel. That, that you need to know that. It's, it's about the... It, it's, you see, God hasn't given up on Israel. He hasn't thrown them out. He hasn't cast them off. He promised that he would be their God and that they would be his people and he will not break that promise. And so Israel is still very much in play. And so let me go through a little bit of... Um, uh, Revelation chapter 13. First and obviously, and, and why the mark of the beast isn't here today. First and obviously, the man of sin, who is called the false prophet and the antichrist, they have not yet been revealed. We don't know who they are. And when the mark of the beast comes, we'll know who they are. Believe me. And so uh, all the world will follow the beast and worship the dragon, that Satan who gave power to the beast, and the beast is the ten-nation alliance or the revived Roman Empire. Now, the second thing is Jerusalem must be invaded. Right? Jerusalem isn't invaded right now. Uh, Israel has control over Jerusalem. And Jesus talked about the same period in Matthew chapter 24. When these things begin to happen, Jesus said, run for the hills. He says, don't even stop to pack. Just go. Don't pick anything up. Just go and save yourselves because it will be bad in Jerusalem. And so that hasn't happened yet. And it will be overrun by an invading foreign army. And the, this invasion will come after the first three and a half years of peace. Um, and so right in the middle of the, 
uh, of that last week, that last seven years, that invasion will come. And this means that the temple must be built because the abomination of desolation that Jesus talks about and that Daniel talks about, uh, there has to be a temple and an altar and a, and a holy of holies. And that is not yet built in Jerusalem. And so the temple must be built first before we see anything of the mark of the beast. That makes sense? So the third thing, verse 7, it was granted him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And that's talking about the false prophet. He would make war with the saints and to overcome them. Uh, some of you, I don't like this very much. <laughs> you, you might not like what I'm going to say very much. Uh, two things. First, three times the beast is said to have been given authority. The beast is given authority. Who gives the beast authority? You, you know, Paul tells us that God puts authority in its place. Kings and rulers, God puts them in place. Right? Who gives the beast authority? God does. I don't even like that. I don't even like the sound of that. God gives the beast authority. We like to think that God is only gracious and not capable of judgment. Romans 11.22 reminds us that God is God. Consider the goodness and severity of God. Right? Or look at Deuteronomy chapter 13.1-4. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says... Let's go after other gods now, which you have not known. And let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And so, why does God give the beast authority? Why is it given to him to overcome the saints? Well, let me put it this way. Is, can you have faith and it not be tested? Faith needs to be tested in order to be true. Faith needs to be tested. The second thing it says here is that saints will not prevail. They will be slain. They will be broken. They will be defeated. They will not prevail. They will not win over the beast or the false prophet. There is a tendency to want to fight against and prevail and prevent the devil from having his way. But it's not going to happen here. You're not going to win. That's very clear about that. Well, according to verse 10... There will be captivity and death. A lot of death. Those that need to die with a sword will die with a sword. Right? And those that will be taken captive need to be taken captive. And that's just the way it is. And there will be mass martyrdom. Uh, what are the saints called to do? 
What does it say in verse 10? What are they called to do? They're called to faith and patience. Are you kidding me? My friends are being killed. My neighbors are being killed. My, down the street, they're being taken captive. Do you I mean, you've seen the pictures and you've seen the movies about World War II when the Jews were marked. They were marked with the Star of David so they were, they were easily seen. Privileges were taken away from them. This is kind of the opposite of the way the mark of the beast is going to work. But they did not prevail. Six million Jews killed. And God says remain faithful and be patient through this. That seems almost unbelievable. And then there's a forced worship. This forced worship, actually the majority are going to be willingly worshiping. They will do this willingly. Will include worship of the dragon, verse 4. The beast, the one who had been mortally wounded and healed, verse 4, 8, and 12. Then another comes out of the earth and forces the first to be worshipped. That is the mortally wounded one. And that's... Um, and, and so... The, the, and, and finally, the image of the beast will be worshipped. And so that, what's the image of the beast? Well, so that first one, who was mortally wounded, uh, he, an image that is able to talk, right? It's, he's going to have a voice, and he'll be able to speak, and then many will worship him. How many people almost worship those online preachers, Right? They, there's an image of the preacher. It's, it's an image. And he's speaking right on the television. So that's an image, right? The televisions are an image. And so that's very possible. That's what Revelation chapter 13 could be talking about. And it says here that deception and signs and wonders will be uh, coming from the false prophet. Uh, the population will be so impressed and or too afraid to say anything against the prophet. And he's able to call fire down from heaven. Are we there? You know, missiles. You know those missiles that I was talking about earlier? The, the ones, um, there are ones that are, uh, they, they, they fire them off of kind of a glider. And they're at the edge of space. They're 62 miles high. 62 miles and that's why when they're coming down and they're picking up speed, they can, those missiles can even go faster than Mark 5. And they're, they're so fast, they're undetectable. Again, you'll be gone, you'll be, you'll be, I mean, so is that the fire they're talking about coming down from heaven? It's very possible. Those things are possible. Finally, just a word about the Mark. And again, I don't think you can take the mark by accident. You'll know exactly what you're doing, right? It won't be snuck into a vaccine. And, and, and uh, you know, it's, I mean, is the way the vaccines are being uh, forced on society? And, and, and there are, uh, let, me, let me say this about the vaccine. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'll say that. And, and vaccines have helped people and have helped society and hopefully it will, we will get back to where we were. I don't think it's going to happen. Society is so broken and so economically hurt 
that I, I, I don't think we will ever recover from uh, what our governments have asked us to do in response to the pandemic. I, honestly, I don't think we'll recover. I think, we're, I think this will usher us into the, uh, faster into the end times than, than, we know what, uh, than we know what to do with. And so, so I'm not an anti-vaxxer, and, but, anti, I mean, but vaccines are being, uh, they're saying that they're voluntary, but they're really not because privileges are being taken away if you don't get vaccinated. That's, and so really, is that vo- are you volunteering to take it or not? No. No, you're being forced to take it. But I'm just saying this about to say that the mark of the beast, um, it's going to be something that they're not going to force on you. You can refuse it, and you'll probably be killed. Right? That's it's just simple as that, the mark of the beast. Now, it's clear. Now, abs- I mean, will... What is the, um, the way the society, the way governments have uh, been handling the, the pandemic? I think it is a, kind of a, a taste of what's coming, a step towards maybe the pacification of society and the freedom, uh, the, the, taking the freedom to choose away from us, right? The government will take care of you. I think that's absolutely true. That's a step towards those things, but it's clearly not the mark of the beast. Now, again, the mark of the beast could very well be a microchip, and, but it's nothing to be, we don't have to be afraid of it. I want to say a final word here. There is a, a horrific persecution around the world today, but it's nothing to compared to what's coming. There is persecution. Take Iraq, for example. When the United States pulled out, and they pulled out really badly, when they pulled out, Christians were in trouble. And uh, many of them, many Christians were killed. And Jesus said, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive for the sake of the elect. Those days would be shortened. That's Matthew 24, 22. It will be bad. Jeremiah has an interesting word. In response to Jeremiah's prayer, God said of their military, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? It says that the military, this is the Jewish military, couldn't keep up with the footmen that were coming to attack them, but that was, that was only the beginning. The horses and chariots were coming. It was going to get worse. And so that's like today. It's like, yeah, there's persecution, but it's going to get much, much worse. It's going to get terrible. And so... There is nothing you can do to stop it. And there's nothing that we can do to stop what's coming either. Now, is this about Christians or about the children of Israel? The mark of the beast in context. I think we can clearly say that the Bible talks about Jerusalem and it talks about Israel. And that is the center of what will be going on. We in Western, in the Western world, will we be affected? Yes, I think we will, because it'll be a whole world thing. But it won't be. We will. It'll be nothing like they're experiencing in the Middle East. That right around Jerusalem, that's where the action is going to be. That's where it's going to be difficult. Will followers of Jesus still be around? Even 
Now that's a question we could debate. There are people that think the Christians will, will still be here and have to go through that. And there are people that, that believe that the Christians are going to be raptured, taken up before all of that happens because the Bible says that we are not appointed to wrath. Well, that's a, a question for another day. But there is... Um, it, it, let, let's not even talk any more about that. If you want to talk to me personally about it, we could have a real chinwag about that one. Anyway, does it all matter? There are a couple of things I want to stress again. First of all, the mark of the beast will be implemented within the middle of Daniel's 70th week. That's the, that, that means there's going to be a peace treaty and after three and a half years, it'll be broken. The temple will be built already. And the idea that, that, that it will be desecrated. And if there's no temple, there can be no desecration. So it's that simple. The temple has to be built first. And I believe it'll be built within that first three and a half years. And then when they're ready to start their worship and their sacrifices, that's when the peace treaty will be broken. And then the great tribulation starts. So in, it's in the context of the Middle East and Jerusalem in particular. The second thing I want you to know, and remember this, that God is in control. He is on the throne. And yes, God gives authority to Satan, who extends his authority to the beast. And, but this, um, um, and, and this beast will prevail for a short time. But God's coming. Jesus is coming with his army, with heaven's armies. And so his victory is shortly lived. Remember that Satan is the defeated enemy. Jesus defeated Satan and death on the cross. He is defeated. But God also gives him authority to test. And so the, the saints uh, will be uh, hurt but that's short compared to eternity. And then the third thing, don't get caught up in conspiracy theories. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Matthew 10, 28. And so verse 18 here, it calls for wisdom. It calls for wisdom. And I think... If we need anything in our day, it's wisdom. We need to live out our faith. We need to be patient. We need to be salt. Let us be part of that group and not part of the group that gets all excited about conspiracy theories. Let's live in the here and now, live out our faith, expecting Jesus to return, yes. But faithful let us be in Jesus' name, amen.